Hello, everybody. Welcome to HodgePod for this episode. My name is Rob Fredette, and again, thank you so much for joining me. And today, we're going to be talking Beatles. I like to call it Beatles banter. So we're going to be looking back at the Beatles as they stormed the United States in the 60s. And then also, when they were here in Memphis, Tennessee in 1966, quite the controversy for the Beatles as they came here. I have a special guest and a huge Beatles fan, as I am, and uh, Roxanne Ledford has joined me. And Roxanne, welcome to my podcast today. Thank you for having me, Rob. I'm just thrilled to be here. I love the Beatles, and I love to talk about them. I love the Beatles, and you probably love the Beatles more than I do, but they, when you think of, like, here in Memphis, Tennessee, you have the king of rock and roll, which is Elvis Presley, and then I think you have to put the Beatles as the pinnacle of rock bands as you as the years have gone by, and the Beatles had the British invasion, but the Beatles to this day, have over 200 million albums sold. That's the largest amount of any rock group, any artist, and Elvis is number two. So we're going to be talking about how the Beatles in the 60s went on the Ed Sullivan Show, the influence that you know it had on pop culture, our remembrances of the Beatles, and then we're going to talk about the 1966 controversy as they came in here to Memphis. So Roxanne, what do you think about when you think of the Beatles one and number two, what is the first song that you remember hearing as we were young in those days? The first song that I remember hearing, um, it has to be hello goodbye. It's the first song that I remember singing of any song that I've ever sang. And I'm sure that I was taken to church and they made me sing (laughs) church songs but at four years old when i when i remember singing i remember singing hello goodbye and it's so catchy and it it just says it's so simple and it's a great song it is a great song and we didn't we have not done any rehearsing for this my 1984 graduation at North Andover High School, Hello Goodbye, was our song we sang at our graduation in 1984. So it was the Beatles, Hello Goodbye. That is incredible. So the influence from the Beatles is there. So when you think of the Beatles, like as far as pop culture is concerned, everybody knows who the Beatles are, but what like attracted you to the Beatles? And how did you, uh, throughout all these years, like just like, you listen to them, and how do you think about the Beatles as we uh, talk tonight? By the time that I was six years old, I had a pair of headphones that were bigger than my hands. Uh, my father uh, was in the Navy, and he wore the headphones while he was uh, going up in the air looking for submarines, and he brought a set home. And it allowed me to listen to music in the living room without anybody else hearing it. It also probably damaged my hearing because I'd listened to two eight-track tapes. One of them was The Beatles. The other one was Led Zeppelin Four. So at six years old, that's my music. And the Beatles uh, that I listened to was The Beatles Part. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, it belonged to my older brother, and that is from the White Album, which you know was somewhere way past the beginning, but not quite the end. Mm-hmm. And it just had a lot of different sounds to it. And I think that's probably what sealed it for me as far as the Beatles were concerned. Interesting. Interesting. My, uh, I think, uh, when I think of the Beatles, I think of the yellow submarine was the first song I ever saw. And I remember seeing the cartoon when I was three, four five years old. I remember that song vividly. I could sing that song. And when I hear it today, I always think about when I was a little infant watching that song on television and just the way the Beatles had that charisma that they did all four of them was really in really a like a phenomenon in the United States everywhere they went it was just pandemonium and we know you hear about the Shea Stadium concert where they were singing you couldn't hear anybody you couldn't hear the music from what um that you can watch the videos from that concert and you can barely hear them singing and it's just people screaming and then police officers are in New York City trying to cover their ears, shaking their head. They couldn't believe that they were they were standing <laughs> out there in the field. But yes. <laughs> I <laughs> that is uh that's pretty that's pretty awesome. So, you know, the Beatles when they uh, when they hit the US, they hit it with like this thing that had never been seen before. So think of like when they went on the Ed Sullivan show. So, you know, while I was doing research, you think of the Beatles, you know, what was it like back then? So get this, at the time of the Ed Sullivan show, when they were on the Ed Sullivan show, and that year was 1964. And uh, when they were on that air, Paul McCartney was 21, Ringo Starr 23, John Lennon 23, and George Harrison 20 years old. And, do you ever think about like how popular when at that age? I mean, they were just that. I don't know how those four survived with all this pop popularity that they had. What do you think about the popularity of? Um, and I'll get more into the Ed Sullivan show about the Beatles at that time. It is just amazing that these four young kids um, they they knew what they wanted to do and that was to make music you know all four of them had an interest in music but then Paul McCartney steps up and he's got the business sense that said let's not go to Ed Sullivan or let's not go to America until we've got a number one there so that they wouldn't fall you know out of favor with the fans too early and it's just that the overall business sense of these kids that were basically art school students. Wow. You know, the business sense you said of Paul McCartney to get that hit here in the United States, it it boggles the mind that uh, they were on the Ed Sullivan show. So back in the 60s, when he was on, when they were on the Ed Sullivan show, 73 million Americans watched that episode on television and, the percentage of Americans watching that night, 60% of the United States was watching that night. That is incredible. Isn't that 60%, 73 million people watching that episode. And not all of them were just young girls. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) (laughs) 
You're right. And that was 1964, February 9th, when the Beatles appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show. Just to give you some context, Elvis Presley was on the Ed Sullivan Show September 9th, 1956. He performed Hound Dog. 60 million people at that time watched, and that was 82.6% of the nation that watched Elvis Presley. That, that's just amazing. I mean, I don't know. You can't get that today. But uh, here's a funny fact, Roxanne, and um, uh, this is from the EdSullivanShow.com, and this is uh, a little blurb I pulled out. For weeks, celebrities were calling in to get tickets for their kids. Walter Cronkite and Jack Parr scored seats for their girls. Composer Leonard Bernstein, Leonard Bernstein tried to get tickets but failed, while Richard Nixon's 15-year-old daughter, Julie, became one of the lucky few to get a seat. Even Sullivan himself had trouble getting extra tickets. On his show the week before the Beatles debut, Ed asked his audience, coincidentally, if anyone has a ticket for the Beatles on our show next Sunday, could I please borrow it? We need it very badly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's like, that, that, that show uh, is, I mean, that was like the coming of age for the Beatles that night. I mean, they really took the United States by storm. Yeah, and I like to watch the movie A Hard Day's Night because it revolves around the production of a TV show. And, of course, Ringo gets in trouble. And uh, But it it reminds me of what it may have been like on a, a very small scale for the Ed Sullivan show. Mm-hmm. And it, each time, each year that I watch it, and I watch it several times while it's, you know, on free TV, which is great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because I will watch it probably, I don't know, seven to ten times a year. And each time I do, I I just get more and more excited about, you know, seeing the Ed Sullivan clips. Wow. And, you know, there was the British inv- British invasion, uh, you know, before the Beatles came, but, you know, the British invasion really was the catalyst by the Beatles for the British invasion. And after that, you just had numerous bands coming into America, which was like the, the gold mine for, you know, money and, and audiences and pop culture. So uh, the Rolling Stones came out. Uh, yes. as well the kinks the zombies the who the animals the yardbirds herman hermits and jerry and the pacemakers just to name a few so some of those bands are well known and some of the other ones maybe uh didn't last as long but the british invasion was uh something that was very uh very much into the pop culture and bands today still um find their influence by the Beatles. I'm always uh, struck by in the mid-90s that Oasis came out and said that they were going to be bigger than the Beatles. You remember that? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, in the 90s, I was listening to a different different type of music, so I'm not very familiar with Oasis, and I'm still not to this day. So apparently they did not succeed. No, that a great band, but they the didn't hit the level of uh, the Beatles. So, you know, the Beatles 
is much to be said about how they um, how they really really transformed uh, rock and roll. So you know, it's also when you think about the Beatles, um, you know, they were young, obviously in the seventies and eighties. But uh, John Lennon, people always, I mean, he was at the age of forty. When did what happened with John Lennon? He was murdered. Uh, in what year, uh, Roxanne? It was uh, in December of 1980. December 8th, correct. And he was murdered. Yes, and he was murdered. Apparently, John Lennon had made a statement about another uh, rock and roll star. And Mr. Murderer, um, for lack of a... We won't, we won't mention his name. A better name. Yeah. Um, he decided to just take John Lennon out of the picture. And it's, it's such, it's such a shame and such a waste. Yeah. 40 years old. He was murdered at the age of 40. That is just, when you think about it, it's just amazing. And then George Harrison died on November 29th, 2001 at the age of 58. Man, that is so young. So young. Ah, man. Ringo Starr is 82, and Paul McCartney is 80 or 81 at this time. So uh, Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr are still performing. And, you know, before we get into uh, 1966, when they came to Memphis, all four of the Beatles had highly successful solo careers as well. I don't mean to get off on a tangent, but they all had major uh, solo careers after the Beatles you know, broke up or disbanded. So, uh, did you listen to anything you know on their solo albums after the t- the uh, the band broke up? I have, yes, I I have uh, a collection of Paul McCartney albums. Um, since I no longer have a turntable, they have been entrusted to my best friend, and he tried to give them back, and I told him I still have no turntable, <laughs> so. <laughs> You can, you know, he has grown children, grown boys now, um, so they have them. Um, Ringo Starr, I do like uh, Back Off Boogaloo. I don't care how many times he does it, he does it different every time it's recorded. And Good Night Vienna, those are two songs that I just have to listen to. Mm-hmm. George Harrison, um, good gracious. Um, all things must pass is just a it's a it's a four disc album, but there's so much good stuff in there that he had composed over probably ten years. So when he mm. came out with an album, it came out as four. And of course, John Lennon, uh, everything that he put out was was good. Everything. Yeah, um, I did not purchase any of his yeah i i uh, remember his solo album before he got murdered uh that he came out i think it was with yoko ono and nobody told me i love that song it's just a catchy song and um you know his son julian lennon sounds exactly like him uh julian lennon he was out in the mid 80s with some uh pop hits and rock hits and uh if you listen to John Lennon and Julian Lennon, they, they almost sound identical, if not identical. I don't know if you've ever had the chance to listen to them side by side, but it's amazing. 
I have, and also Danny Harrison sounds just like George. Really? Yeah, he does. Uh, on the Beatles channel on XM, Sirius XM, uh, on Fridays, they play a lot of different uh, friends and family of the Beatles, mm-hmm. and they'll put in a lot of Julian and a lot of Danny in there. Danny does a lot of his dad's work, uh, and it just, it just sounds wonderful. Yeah. It's just like having a, a new one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, George Harrison in the late 80s came out with uh, the Traveling Wilburys, Roy Orbison, Jeff Lynn of ELO, Tom Petty, and Bob Dylan. How, I wonder, I'd like to know how, do you know any insight on how that group got together? I don't, I don't know if George Harrison, I mean, can you imagine George Harrison of the Beatles asking you to be in the Traveling Wilburys? That must have been like a high honor for all of those four, four uh, musicians. I, I'm pretty sure that they were already uh, jamming together from time to time. Um, but no, I don't, um, I, I remember the story. I only heard it once, but uh, at, at some point in time, they decided that yeah, let's just get together and make an album and, you know, that kind of thing. And um, But I, I don't have any good details, no. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, I just find that fascinating that, like, George Harrison came out with, uh, you know, he had a solo album in the mid-'80s as well, uh, Got My Mind Set on You. Um, so oh, he, yeah. He was, uh, he was definitely, uh, I guess they got tired of, not tired, but when you're underneath all that fame, probably get burnt out after a while and they just probably got recharged. Can you imagine living like the Beatles in the sixties? It was insane. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, there's a picture on Facebook floating around and it shows, um, John Lennon's psychedelic Rolls Royce. And it shows George Harrison's psychedelic mini Cooper beside it. <laughs> and, <laughs> so it it shows the difference between the two, but you know it it shows that George Harrison was probably a little tired of the extravagance. Um, but the, I I was listening to the Beatles channel earlier today, mm-hmm. and there is a song that showed that he was he was pretty he he was pretty tired of the of the um the the, the rock oh, life. background the well the it's the song is called it's only a northern song mm-hmm. and so it has to do with people's uh money grabbing things and um uh, copyrights and things tax man i mean if if george had a problem with it he wrote about it you know it's it came out in his music yeah he was uh when you when you when you look at the beatles from yeah i did it some uh watching some press conferences of the beatles back in the 60s when they were uh being besieged i mean the press conferences were more than uh president you know heads of state i mean it was just like pandemonium reporters asking questions and uh, it was always fun watching him because Paul and John were always pretty much the ones that were answering the questions and Ringo would be off to the side and George would, George would answer a uh, occasional question. But uh, obviously right. Paul and John were definitely the, 
face or the voice of the of the Beatles outside of the music. It it, it looks like it. So I was wondering if um you know if it had any dissension or or whatnot. Um, they seem to get along, but uh, it it was just incredible. Just the pace and the the barrage of reporters and the 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 running in airports and leaving concerts. It must have been like it must have been some serious burnout or just get away. What do you think about that? Do you think it was like uh, craziness that they um, you know that they just stopped performing? I think it was they they didn't have time to themselves. Uh, Ringo Starr said it was like having three brothers, whereas before he had no brothers. <laughs> so if you can imagine having three brothers all within three years of each other, um, you can imagine the antics that would go on. You know, they would sleep two to a room, and a lot of time, the only time you got privacy was when you went to the bathroom. You know, wow. um, it was just, there was always somebody there, you know, questioning, you know, they had somebody that uh, traveled with them that uh, came from Florida mm-hmm. that was, um, he was a DJ or a news, re- no, he was a news reporter and he had, he, he was told that he had to, to go on tour with the Beatles. So he was there all the time. And all these photographs, they all came from somebody. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Man. So I don't know how though I don't know how they I don't really know how they, they got by. I mean, it's one thing to be famous, but I don't know how your brain functions when you're a famous person. It's it's a different different stratosphere than what I'm used to or maybe you're used to, but I mean, I don't know how they I mean, you're always on. You never shut it off. Exactly, yeah. And I, I think that, that they, um, that the craziness of the people, you know, wanting, everybody just wanting to be at the concert and the things that were going on in America, mm-hmm. you know, uh, right before they came to Memphis, they, um, I believe it was in Alabama, and I, I'm pretty sure it was in Alabama. They did not want; they wanted it to be segregated, hmm. the concert. And so the Beatles told them, "No, we we will not. We won't play this concert. Either everybody's allowed in, or we're not going to play." And so it started getting to things like that. And then, you know, what happened in Memphis and I'm, you know, that I, I, I don't know, but I, I feel like that what happened in Alabama, that somebody came to Memphis and said, okay, let's just not let them play in Memphis, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why the bomb scare came up. Yeah, so uh, you're talking about Memphis. So when they came to Memphis, um, they had two shows that were booked at the Mid-South Coliseum. And the Mid-South Coliseum to this day is just an empty relic at the Mid-South Fairgrounds here in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, the history that that place has, it's incredible. Elvis Presley played there. Every big-time performer played there. Frank Sinatra, 
Oh gosh, uh, the Who. Um, I I probably hundreds and thousands of uh, different artists played there, which was just uh, incredible. It's about twelve, thirteen thousand uh, attendance back in the day. It's where the Memphis State Tigers played. So when they came to Memphis uh, for that August 19th, they were playing two shows, believe that or not. They played two shows. It was a 4 p.m. show and an 8.30 p.m. show. The first show was 13,300 showed up and then 12,500 for the nightcap. And if you go on YouTube, you can find uh, some of the recordings and the the concert, actual concert here at the Mid-South Coliseum. You can barely hear them singing like always. And get this, tickets cost five fifty. $5.50 for a concert back in 1966. I wish we could pay five fifty for a concert in 2023. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> so, so earlier in the year, John Lennon had spoken to Maureen Cleave of the London Evening Standard in February of 1966. He did an interview, and it says, How Does a Beetle Live? It was a series that Cleave had put together, and there was a comment that John Lennon made that really, really uh, set set off a lot of fireworks. And he said, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about that. I'm right, and I'll be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary. It's them twisting in, twisting it that ruins it for me. So what happened was he had talked to this uh, reporter, Maureen Cleave, earlier in the year, and uh, from what I've read, that, that they were friends, and it was just like a conversation that they were having. And uh, it had come out in the press earlier than that, but it really wasn't a big deal um, at the time. And then as they came to Memphis, it was a really big deal, and there was a lot of controversy as they came to Memphis for this concert that the two concerts that they had on August 19th. And when you think about it, Roxanne, that it was just like, it was just like I did reading on it. It was like, this was like really a big deal in 1966. Oh, I bet it was. Yeah. Um, I remember when I heard about it, of course I was well into uh, probably late elementary school when I heard about it. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it for a few minutes, and you know, I thought this is terrible. You know, to grow up in a, you know, in a Christian country and, and have someone to say something like that. And then, as I heard more about the apology and things like that, then I was okay with listening to the music. Um, but the, the way that it was presented to me was that this guy must be the devil himself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it was, it was terrible. Um, the way that, the way that it was presented was not as you just read. And that's the first time that I've ever heard the first, the, the full statement. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I've heard the, the apology more than I've heard the, the statement itself. But I remember thinking that these, that, you know, that, that these guys must be terrible when I first heard 
Yeah, they caught they caught a lot of heat, especially here in Memphis. They were uh, the, the the questions. There were uh, there was a reporter asking questions, and um, you know the Beatles. I, I think they were really getting just from what I've seen that, that they were getting you know tired of the the barrage of questions. You know, gonna you know what he said that really like set it off, especially here in Memphis. You know, the Bible Belt, and uh, during this 1966 tour. The Beatles only played in one southern city, and that was here in Memphis at the Mid-South Coliseum. They played elsewhere in the Northeast, in the um, you know the Midwest a little bit, out west on the West Coast. And, you know, what, you know, it's funny, too, that they played here in just in Memphis, you know, the home of Elvis, don't you think? <laughs> I didn't really realize that until yeah. I saw the, the tour dates. Yeah. Um, and they they loved Elvis, of course. Everybody loved Elvis. Mm-hmm. Um, well, maybe there's three people that don't, but um, they're definitely in the minority. Um, but Elvis is such a, a big Memphis thing, but he's big all over. And I do know that from reading um, about the Beatles meeting Elvis that they were just awestruck when they met him. You know, it, there he was, you know, and what do you do? <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do you do yeah. when you meet Elvis? I mean, that is like, that must have been unbelievable, the Beatles meeting Elvis. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that meeting. That must have been pretty awesome. Uh, of course, the King of Rock and Roll and the Beatles intersect. They meet. I have to do some research on that to see what actually happened, but uh, I think that is uh, being awestruck of Elvis, uh, young uh, musicians from England, um, Liverpool. That is, I think that is uh, it. Just shows you that they definitely had a, um, I don't know, a a looking up to for Elvis. And you know, comment though the comment they did apologize for it profusely. After that, um, still uh, had a lot of controversy leading into that Memphis uh, show here, and there was a lot of um, a lot of newspaper articles around the country. Um, you know, like here in the Kingsport Times News from August seventh, headline said local disc jockeys joined Beatle band. Um, this one here was from the Miami Herald, August twenty first, nineteen sixty six. This was after the Beatles had it played in Memphis. Bible Belt takes swing at Beatles. And then uh, it says the Beatles hit the Bible Belt Friday and the Bible Belt hit right back. There was a small-scale pandemonium at the Metropolitan Airport, but it was nothing like the reception giving the shaggy-haired singers in Northern Cities. (laughs) (laughs) I love some of these old... These old newspaper articles—they just come out and they just throw—they just throw smack at people. About three hundred teenagers, mostly girls wearing bell-bottom trousers, swarmed around the airport for two hours before the Beatles arrived. And then said local ministers scheduled the youth rally to conflict with the Beatles' performances. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how that scales yet. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's just like the, the shaggy hair. You know what I remember about the Beatles? I don't know if you remember the Flintstones. They had the folks that um, they had the Beatle parody on the Flintstones, and they, they sang, yeah, 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 and they had the, the, the haircuts. 
I, I, that's what I remember too. Like being a kid watching the Flintstones. Here's, here's another one. Here's another one from Memphis, the Tennessean on August 18th. Memphis's guard up for Beatles. The Beatles will be guarded by 86 policemen and 20 private guards during their 19 hour stay here tomorrow, which was back in night. It was learned yesterday. We are prepared to handle traffic, crowds, and guard the group from time they arrive until their departure late tomorrow night. Police Inspector H.S. Bivens said. That's incredible. I mean, when you think about it, they had an army around them. Yeah. Yeah. They And, you know, it's no wonder because just seeing the footage of the concert, like at Shea Stadium, the people rushing the stage. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you've ever you've ever been to a concert in the Coliseum, and I bet you have, once the band gets on that you want to see, if you're on that front row or the first few rows, you better get up and take your place because people are coming up behind you, and you will get, you know, trampled, unfortunately. So can you imagine, I mean, just the girls, I mean, I, I know I would have been right there with them. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean let's, let's call it the way it is. I mean, I would have been right there running up, running up and trying to get me some hair off of somebody anyway. Here's a little bit more of that article. The exact arrival time of the quartet has been kept secret. The Beatles have contracted for two shows at the Mid-South Coliseum, one at 4 p.m. and the other at 8.30. I believe this is the tightest security we have had for a show in Memphis, said Bivens. He was the police inspector. Coliseum officials have leveled the ban on cameras and tape recorders and warned that anyone leaving his seat during the performance will be ejected. If you left your seat, you're gone. Oh, my word. <laughs> <laughs> what if you had to go to the bathroom? That's not fair. Oh man, I'm look I like I love reading these articles from the 1960s. Here's another one here. With all the controversy, the Beatles got a key to the city. A city commissioner said Tuesday he would give the Beatles a key to the city despite a commission resolution chastising the group for alleged anti anti-Christianity statements attributed to John Lennon. I'll be happy to give them one, said Hunter Lane Jr. Members of the Beatle fan club of Memphis had voted to spend their own money to provide the British singers the key, but had counted on help from the city leader. So it was both sides when the Beatles came here. But uh, it's amazing how the the controversy really was like in in full full blown mode back in 1966. I didn't realize how how big it was until I started doing research when they came to Memphis. We had no idea either. I mean, you and I were both very, very young. So we were probably asleep by the time the news came on mm-hmm. or in school when the news talked about it the next morning. And I certainly wasn't reading the paper when I was two. No. Um, which, by the way, the Beatles came 12 days before I was born. Uh, so um, I'm, they came to the state. 12 days before I was born. That's why I missed the Ed Sullivan show. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So the Beatles, when they played at the Mid-South Coliseum, they had a concert. 
and they had two concerts. And uh, I would, they had warm-up bands from here in Memphis. But uh, when you think, Roxanne, what would you think, like, the time would be for a Beatles concert? I've been to concerts. I know you've been to concerts probably two hours, three hours. I, what do you I, think? I would, I would think three hours because of the time difference, four to eight. So it gives them a, a one-hour break. I was shocked. Uh, you're not going to believe this. 28 minutes each show the Beatles performed. 28 oh. minutes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, 28 minutes. No wonder you only had to pay five fifty. for I know. Ticket. 28 <laughs> minutes. So they played rock and roll music. She's a woman. If I Needed Someone, Day Tripper, Babies in Black, I Feel Fine, that's a great song. Yesterday, another great song. I Want to Be Your Man, Nowhere Man, great song. Paperback Rider, great song. And Long Tong Sally. I can't say this. Long <laughs> Tall Sally. For some reason, I can't say yeah. Long Tall Sally. But, uh, yeah. There, you did it. Yeah. Yes. They did the, the cover for Long Tall Sally. And... uh depending on who sang it, Carl Perkins or Little Richard. But uh, they did play that paying homage, obviously, to the uh, rock and rollers of the late 50s. So 28 minutes for a concert, I would have left disappointed. I don't know if anybody left disappointed. (laughs) I bet not. I bet not. I think there was another cover in there, too. Um, But you went through them, and... I remember thinking um, that they didn't have a lot of songs to play. Mm -hmm. And in 66, um, plus, they well, they had probably three albums. One of them I know I purchased, I think it was Meet the Beatles. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that it was a lot of cover songs. Interesting. On that, if I remember correctly, because I I didn't listen to it very much after I started buying my own albums. So I did the math, 28 songs, 28 minutes, 11 songs, 2 minutes, 54 seconds each song on average. (laughs) Oh, yes. I don't know if I would have left. I mean, if the beat, I would have left, I don't know. I think I would have left like, that's it? You guys are leaving after a half hour. Can you imagine, like, if uh, imagine, like, if like Bruce Springsteen or Guns N' Roses or Bon Jovi left after thirty minutes? <laughs> yeah, but we are talking about years and years later, I and know. you and I don't know, you know, how long Frank Sinatra would perform. Um. Because, you know, a lot of the time they were night show acts. Mm-hmm. And so the concerts, I think, probably evolved from, you know, them playing, you know, like at the Cavern Club. You know, so yep. 28 minutes, it's, it's sounding about right now. So uh, you had said something. Was there a fire? I think it was, from what I read, there was a firecracker that was lit off on the second show of the Beatles concert at the Mid-South Coliseum, and <laughs> which, when you think about it, it's kind of like crazy. Um, and after that, the Beatles, uh, 
from what I read was they stopped touring after that, which I found to be pretty unbelievable. I think that I think you're right about uh, the firecracker, but as far as them deciding to stop touring, I think that that would have been enough to say, wait a minute, you know, they're starting to get a little more uh, gutsy, you know, mm. with with their antics. You know, it's one thing for a lot of girls to be screaming and passing out, but then when you've got, you know, the bomb threat and then the firecracker, you know, um, and then years later, John Lennon ends up getting shot. I mean, I, I think they made the right choice by stopping touring at that point. Yeah, I wonder if they ever, after they le- after they broke up and they went their different ways, obviously with their solo careers before John Lennon's death, um, after he was murdered, I wonder if they ever, like, thought about getting back together. Uh, you don't really hear about that. I mean, you may see something uh, in a book, but I've really never heard anything whether they had thought about it. I think they were just burnt out um, with that. And, you know, when you look back at their 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 body of work i mean it still holds true today i mean you're talking 60 years later and uh i know you're probably still listening to beatles songs i still listen to beatles songs and a lot of the influence of all those groups that came over from england um in the 70s 80s and 90s or that if you ask them it's the beatles that got them to uh to play rock and roll oh yeah yeah, I, the one thing about having Sirius XM in my car um, is having the Beatles channel. I listen to it all the time. It's not all I listen to anymore. I do listen to other things now, mm-hmm. but I can turn it on whenever I want to. But they they also have people that are famous that that come on and they like. Uh, Jimmy Fallon talks about his first um, experience with a Beatles song. Michael McDonald first meeting Paul McCartney. Um, mm. There's so many, I mean, so many, person after person after person. And then they have this thing that they do. It's uh, my favorite four songs by the Beatles. And a lot of times they will have people from other um, bands that that play their four favorite songs. But I remember one one special show that they did was the cast of The Big Bang Theory. Mm-hmm. And all of them got to play their favorite four. So that was that was pretty awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm a Big Bang Theory. Uh, watcher, so <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I got a kick out of that. So uh, I think the Beatles, uh, Mark here in Memphis, you know, it's amazing. They did an interview at the Mid South Coliseum. I think they did it in the locker room of the Mid South Coliseum. It's amazing, like you know, going in there, like going there at midnight. What kind of ghosts are you going to see at the Mid South Coliseum? <laughs> yeah. 
It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, like they should do like a ghost show, you know, those ghost shows. Do one at the Mid-South. I mean, the Beatles were in that building. They did an interview. They did two concerts. They did an interview in one of those locker rooms there at the concert. They should make like the Mid-South Coliseum, like with all the concerts they have, like a museum of all the music that's played there and just like make it something that is something where people can con- congregate to, you know, there. I mean, Elvis is from Memphis. They should do everything that they can to get like, I mean, it's incredible. The Beatles came to Memphis. I mean, that is a big, big deal. I mean, Elvis lived in Memphis. That is a big, big deal. And it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't realize it. You know, I think about sometimes when I'm driving around Memphis and it's like, I wonder if Elvis drove down this way or did Elvis come over here? Did Elvis go over there? And like, where did the Beatles stay when they came here? Or did that, were they, was it just one day in and one day out? I mean, it's amazing. Did they stay at the Peabody? Did they stay? What did they do? It's amazing just to see where they were, what they did. It's incredible. And it's, it it would, you know, it would have been nice to hear, you know, like, Hey, Elvis was in town, but he was probably out doing his thing, movies or music. And he could have, uh, you know, they could have, uh, gotten together and done like a, uh, that must've been, that would have been sick. Yeah. But you got to remember they were competitors in 1966. True. True. Very much true. Yes. So it would have been a, like a, I I don't know. You're a big tiger fan. So it would have been a big tiger Tennessee balls game. You know? <laughs> Yo, yeah. Uh, you know what? Yeah, that's that's right. I, I agree. You make a lot of sense when you say that because uh, um, they were rivals. And when you think about it, uh, in 1966, so the Beatles are still young at that time. John Lennon's 25, McCartney 24, Harrison 23, and Ringo Starr 26. Um, it's just amazing. Like, in those three years, from 64, 65, and 66, they're, they're – they were probably on the go every day of the year. It just blows my mind. Yeah, absolutely. And also, it it also um, brings to mind the the reason why they stopped touring and launched Sergeant Pepper's, you know, the album mm-hmm. to go on tour for them. Yeah, that's that's just like it. it it's unbelievable. You know, real quick, I know we were talking about Ed Sullivan earlier. You know, when they were on the Ed Sullivan show, they played All My Loving, Till There Was You, and Then She Loves You. So they played three songs on the Ed Sullivan show, and I still can't believe Leonard Bernstein could not get a ticket for his daughter. So <laughs> that's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And Ed Sullivan also had a problem getting tickets. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. But uh yeah, so the the Beatles um, you know, still have a lot of cachet, got a lot of um, you know, influence today. And uh it's great that we have like things like musical, st- you know, streaming services to play songs and you don't have to buy all these albums any, you know, or these CDs. Everything is on our phones, which is great. So it's always good to uh hear a song on the radio every now and then. You really don't hear the uh, the Beatles on the radio anymore. It's all on uh, streaming services. And I I am a very big person listening to streaming services, but the albums that I have that are on my phone are the the three that I that I always go to, 
Abbey Road, Let It Be, and the White Album. I've got all three of those so that no matter where I am, I don't have to worry about Wi-Fi. I've got them right there with me <laughs> for for when it's needed, you know? I Yeah. But, uh, that's the that's the cool yeah. part about it, you know. You pay whatever nine bucks, ten bucks a month, but you you got your music with you. And uh, there's one other fact about the Ed Sullivan show: the, the theater had 700 seats. Um, take a wild guess to see how many requests they had for this concert. It's amazing. 700 seats. They got a bunch of requests. Wow. Take a get. Take a wild guess. Okay, let's go wild. Let's say. Uh, 1,500? 50,000. Oh, no. 50,000. Oh, my God. Oh, that's that's mind-blowing. 50,000 requests. And there was, and those are people just talking on the, calling on the phone. That's not, that's not anything internet or anything. That's just people calling on the phone. They must have had the phones, um, overloaded when that happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness, how many operators would that have taken? Yeah, I know. You know I mean, that's the little like, plug in. Yeah, yeah. The plug in. Yeah, it's... yeah. And you were you were talking about that you don't hear the songs much, but the there's been three movies that I know of, or three documentaries about the Beatles um, that have been put out in the last five years. And those are just the three that I've watched in the last six months. Wow. Um, yeah, so there's the movie Yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is just a, it's a fantasy movie. It has, it's got all the Beatles, good cover songs, good songs being covered by another guy on there. There is the... Um, the show McCartney one two three. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about his recordings, and then there is a documentary about the documentary. Let it be. The documentary that came out is called Get Back, which uh, really puts the true light on the Let It Be album, mm-hmm. whereas the the documentary that came out in the in the seventies sort of looked like it was um, a disgruntled type thing uh, between spouses and ex spouses, or you know things of that nature. When it really wasn't. Um, hmm. And then the last one, more recently, has been a tour of the EMI Studios. And that's not just about the Beatles. It's about the studio itself. And it's better known as Abbey Road Studios. Wow. So, yeah, Mary, Mary McCartney, Paul McCartney's daughter, um, she basically grew up in the studio. So you had mentioned the documentary, Let It Be, was it Get Back? Is that the one where they had the actual footage of the of the band? Yeah, the Let It Be documentary had actual footage also. But, you know, there's two sides to every pancake. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Get Back documentary, I've watched over and over also. For one thing, I can't understand um, 
the language because they don't speak Southern English. <laughs> <laughs> they speak English, English. Yeah, English, English. <laughs> so, yeah, I have to. And there's there's some parts in it that, you know, you see them acting as if they are brothers. You know, they they really were still close, you know, when they decide to split up. Yeah. So it's, I've seen it, it, it's, I've, it's really. I've seen an excerpt of one of, I think it's the one you're referring to. It's, it's the color one where they're actually in the studio. And I, George Harrison was going over something. I'm not musically inclined. I've said it several times on my previous episodes. I couldn't tell you a note from a chord from anything, but uh, there's one with George Harrison is like working with Ringo Starr on one of the songs and like John Lennon and Yoko yeah. Ono walk in. And I'm like, I was mesmerized just watching this. Like they were just like yesterday. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, they had their breaks, you know, they, they would come in and they would bring in wine for their break, you know, and you know, it was just, <laughs> You know, it was, you know, it, it'd be nice to be able to go to work and have, you know, wine for your afternoon break. But um, there's only a few companies that allow that. That's true. <laughs> you can do what you want when you're the yeah. Beatles. Right. And another thing is the John Lennon and Paul McCartney, uh, the partnership is evident in that movie because. Once one of them would start playing a song, the other one would join in. And some of them were old songs that they had, you know, played around with six years earlier that they had never finished. Some of them were just old songs that they just liked to sing. You know, not old songs that we know, but old songs that they knew from being kids. Hmm. So it's, it's really, it's, it's it's really a good documentary. Very uh, well made. I'm going to have to watch those documentaries. The, that little excerpt of I saw, of, uh, like I said, Harrison and Starr together. Man, that just like I was just like fixated for like watching it. I was like, wow. I mean, all this footage from when they were, you know, a day. And you know, when you think about bands, finally, you know, you, you really think about. Um, and um, John Lennon was a perfect perfect frontman for the band. He had the charisma, as did uh, Paul McCartney and um, Ringo and George. You know, they had appeal as well, but they were more of the they weren't they weren't uh, the the most uh, talkative ones, I would say, of the band. But they were still very talented and super musicians. So I think that kind of uh, played off each other as well in the band and uh, that Hard Days Night movie as well. You kind of see that it's kind of fun to watch. Yeah, and that one scripted and. It would be nice to know what part of it that they ad lib mm-hmm. because you know they they probably did something that wasn't in the script that they kept in the movie, but I've not ever seen anything. Um, I think a documentary that you would like to see, and I've not looked for it on YouTube, but it was put out in the 1990s, mm-hmm. and it was George Martin explaining using the soundboard about the making of the Sgt. Pepper's album. Hmm. And, you know, 
we talk about eight tracks. You know, all this was done with four tracks. So it's, you know, when they add things to it, when they record this and they add this, they, um, they, <laughs> Paul McCartney had said in an interview that they played on, um, XM radio quite a bit mm -hmm. that for a long time, George Martin was the only one that was allowed to touch the board. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think George Martin, uh, he really liked experimenting with the sounds. And that's why Sergeant Peppers just exploded with, you know, all these new sounds that we uh, got to enjoy in the later albums. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, Roxanne, I really uh, thank you very much for uh, joining me on this episode. I would hope that you would come back and talk more Beatles, uh, maybe in another episode in a little bit down the road. I really enjoyed this uh, opportunity. Uh, you are definitely a Beatles fan and you added some insight to me and my listeners as well. And, um, again, I want to thank you for your time, uh, for coming on and, uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I did. I did, Rob. I would be delighted to be invited back. Yes.